Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show. On this episode, we will be looking back to the two massive Coupe de France semi-finals that took place this week, featuring PSG's trip to Lyon and Satien's hosting of Rennes. As always, we also have two Ligue 1 fixtures to look forward to, including Dijon versus Toulouse and the derby between Nice and Monaco on the south coast. I'm your host, Lewis McParlane, and for the first time this season, I don't have my right-hand man with me, Mr. Thomas Wiseman. Oh, how we'll miss his anecdotes about Onge and his weird facts about how the entire backroom staff of the club are actually related. Don't worry, he's not dead. He's actually in France for what I believe is his first Onge match, and what better game to do in than the big derby against Nantes. It's sure to be a great clash, and we'll have Thomas tell us all about it when he returns. To take his place, I have two fantastic guests. The first comes in the shape of Mr. Clinton McDubus. And Clinton, with Thomas off to his first game for Onge, I want to ask you, what's the best game that you've ever actually been to in the flesh? Hello, Lewis. Um, <clears throat> okay, uh, it's actually a... An amateur game that we, um, I actually was an assistant coach for that game. Um, it was between my team then, Citizens FC, and a team called Danas. It was it was a game that we prepared for because um, we're playing against a team that were pretty much beating everybody. Like they were beating everybody around and they were so good, so hard to stop. So they played like peak Pep Barcelona, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> and and we so everyone was terrified, and um, we had a bunch of players that were, I felt like they were better than everybody, yeah, but against this particular team, they all accepted, like their egos just took a hit, they just accepted, that, okay, this team is very good, so we are not going to um, go in there with any confidence or anything. So you know what, we planned a lot before the game. We had these sessions where we did the same thing over and over again. We basically did Simeone ball. We <laughs> had two banks of four, one person being an outlet up front, and we just completely blocked everywhere. And then the game started, and I've never felt that kind of adrenaline in my life before. I was just so excited at how we were plotting everything they were doing again and again. I think they got very arrogant, and at some point they were camped in our half. So everything was being played in our half, and somehow we won that game 2-1. We actually led 2-0, and then when they came back in the second half, the wave after wave after wave of attack was insane. I've never seen anything like it. And eventually, we were able to escape. I can remember how we felt after the game ended. Like, the relief, everyone just looked at themselves like, wow, we actually beat these guys. Like, wow, that was, that was something else. It's crazy. Well, honestly, some of the best games happen, like not even in not even in your big stadium. It's all your amateur games you have to bloody watch out for. That's where the yeah. real the real aggression comes out, and people are just fighting on the pitch and stuff. And the the manager's brothers like like chatting to people in the crowd and stuff. That's the stuff you want, you know. And I also have Jeremy Smith with me, and Mister Smith. The same question goes to you. What's the best match that you've been to in the flesh? Uh, I'm struggling to cut it down to one, but I think I'm going to go with three. The first one, which I'm not going to say what year because it massively ages me, but the <laughs> second the second match I ever went to was seeing Metz win 4-0 in the Coupe de France semi-final. 
and uh, everything's pretty much been a letdown <laughs> since then. <laughs> just the atmosphere, everything was amazing. Um, I went to, I saw France against Albania in Euro, 9, Euro 16, which actually was a pretty crap match, but just because it was in the velodrome, seeing France and the drama of two really, really late goals was great. And then in terms of like neutral matches, like nothing to do with who I support, uh, I saw where Arsenal beat Spurs 5-2, I think two seasons in a row. The first one, Spurs were 2-0 up, partly thanks to a bail dive, um, after 43 minutes. And Arsenal went in 2-all at half-time and then just smashed Spurs in the second half. And that's the most excited I've ever been in a match where I actually don't support either team. That was pretty great. Was that Tottenham game the one where Theo Walcott scored like one or two goals? Scored a chip or something? I think he might have done, yeah. yeah. yeah I think, I, think I remember it. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Van, I think, I think yeah. Van Persie scored both of the goals before half-time. Yeah, I just remember Walcott having an insane match against Tottenham. I think it was the 5-2 one, one of the, one of the big scoring ones. Well, that's insane. Um I've got two, if you want to know about. One is a big Milan derby, AC Inter, a couple of years ago. It was the last year, or it was the first year, rather, that a team that wasn't Juventus like won it in the last few years. And it was it was so tight. It was back when Italian football was just, just coming to the end of its like having so many great teams. And AC had to win it to a... I think it, I think it was, but they lost against Inter in the derby. San Siro four two. Ibrahimovic scored penalty. Maicon scored an absolute worldy. And uh, because they didn't win, Juventus went on went on to win their first title in ages. And uh, everyone was going mad, and that kind of just started this dominance for Juventus. It was insane. Chiellini was crying on TV. People were going down the streets, peeping their horns and stuff. It was insane. Uh, and the other insane game that I went to was Hamilton Celtic. Uh, at Celtic Park, Hamilton hadn't won there since like 1939, I think it was. Uh, so in absolute ages, and it was when we we had a really good run of form. We started a season saying we were like top at Christmas or top at November or something for a team that's usually like battling relegation. Ball comes down. Virgil van Dijk, if you know the name, fumbles it on the edge of the box and Riali Crawford comes in, absolutely smashes it past, uh, I don't even know who the goalkeeper would have been, uh, to score. Yeah, Virgil van Dijk back in his Celtic days. Uh, we go on to win 1-0. It was absolutely insane. Celtic dominated us, but we were terrible, but somehow managed to win. And I, so basically my dad has loads of friends that are like Celtic fans. And we were in like a hospitality box with them because it's I think it was his past birthday or something. So I remember them surrounded by bloody Celtic fans, and we were just sitting there not trying to say anything. Like I was, I was trying to celebrate when the goal went in, and my dad's like, "Shut! Don't say anything. You're gonna get bloody mauled by these guys." Uh, but yeah, that was insane. That's probably like the best game I've been to, uh, which was insane. And another fantastic match is the f- first game we're going to look at. Uh, it was one of the Coupe de France. F- Fine, uh, semi-finals that happened this week and this was Lyon against PSG. Of course it ended 5-1 to the visitors, the Parisians. Martin Terrier opened the scoring before Mbappe scored a hat-trick. Neymar got on the score sheet as well as Pablo Sarabia. So, Jeremy, I feel there's been a little bit of criticism around PSG in the last few weeks, you know, with the match against Dortmund and the game against Amiens not looking fantastically at their best. But do you think this was their best performance in quite a while? Uh, It was a very good uh, performance. 
Um, but I think the scoreline was extremely flattering to them. Um, I think Lyon were pretty unlucky to, to lose by that much and were really holding their own until Marseille got sent off on the hour mark. Um, but I think a lot like the, the Dijon match the other day, um, the, the big difference is that PSG have got a player called Mbappe in their team. And the, the last week or so, he's been absolutely on fire. Um, scored, scored early on, arguably nicked the goal off, um, off uh, Kazawa. Scored late on, just to tap in after, after Lopez had made a good save. Um, and then in the middle of that, scored an absolute worldie, just winning the ball in the centre circle, running half the pitch, embarrassing Guimaraes and Marcelo on the way, and then, and then finishing well. Um, he also set up Neymar for, for a sitter that he missed. So I just think he's certainly in the last few matches, he's playing on a completely different level to everyone else at the moment. And I'm not sure that that many of the other PSG players convinced that much. Um, and I still think they look vulnerable in defence. Um, but certainly they're, they're looking better than they were a couple of weeks ago. So as you said, Kelly Mbappe had a fantastic match. He was great against Dijon, looked a lot more more just on it. Clinton, why do you think Mbappe had that little little dip? I mean, it's by his levels, obviously, he's still a fantastic player. I'm not saying anything about that, but it seems just as if, as with a lot of the PSG team, there was just a little bit of a dip, a little bit more, they were playing a little bit more lackadaisical, a bit more lazy in their play, whereas against Leon here and against Dijon, he just seemed much more on it. Why do you think that, that dip really came about and, and where do you see Mbappe going for the rest of the season into the last few months, Clinton? Um, well, I, I can't really say for sure what happened because I think um, it's it was probably the holiday that he had um, the Christmas holiday because after he came back, even though, I mean, they won the first game um, of the year against Saint-Étienne and he had a goal and two assists, he didn't look um, particularly impressive. And then it carried on again and again. I, I kept saying it that time that Mbappe is getting goals, but he's not looking very impressive. Uh, I think the only other game he looked impressive in was um, against Monaco when he scored um, a brace in the 4-1 game. That was away. But after that, um, he stopped scoring. He wasn't looking so good. He was missing chances. And I felt like um, he was probably in the worst form he had been in in over a year. And then all of a sudden, the um, Dortmund game came. I think that's probably where the shift happened. Because after the Dortmund game, I think um, the PSG players kind of realized um, it wasn't just going to be a walk in the park you know, towards the, going towards the end of the season, they had to step up because they looked horrible that day. He did step up to create um, that, that goal for Neymar. And then after that, he's been electric. But before that, I think um, probably the Christmas Blues or something, um, he wasn't quite up to his usual form because he actually ended the year on fire. And that was last year. And then he started the year pretty slowly. But I think he has picked up now and it's great to see. I, I, I'm going to say probably Christmas... The Christmas, the Christmas holiday, he probably ate too much or something, <laughs> and then um, or, or celebrated too much, and then lost a bit of focus. But he's back, he's back in now. I think um, it was probably the Dortmund game that did it, that kind of awoke him to the realities on ground. So yeah, and that must be only good signs for PSG. Like I said, going into the Dortmund game in a couple of weeks, that Mbappe seems as if he's now just going to be 
right back on top of his game for for a massive match. That that could be quite a turning point in the game, couldn't it? If he is really back on form. Um, for me, I think it's a, it's a big deal that he's he's he looks to be back in form and at his best because PSG need him that day to be on form and playing his best. But I also think that the presence of Cavani has probably helped a bit because um, Cavani gives something different from what Icardi gives in terms of how um, he's more involved in the game. He tracks back, he's fighting, he's, he's just generally a fighter. And that kind of having that kind of person beside you kind of also, you know, helps. But, you know, with Icardi, Icardi is more of the guy that just waits around in the box, doesn't really get involved much the rest of the game. And then if a chance comes, he scores. So I think also having Cavani around him has helped as well. And going into that Dortmund game, that's exactly what they need. They need an Mbappe on form. They need an Mbappe that is ready to take things, you know, by the scruff of the neck. I think that's that's a good sign for them. That's the only good sign I'm seeing because, I, like I said um, some weeks back, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical about PSG's chances going into this tie because of how all those things have, have been recently. The um, the way they've looked, they've looked very lethargic. Neymar doesn't look to be back to his best anymore because I think since, since that injury has looked very has looked overweight and not really able to impose himself like he was earlier in the season and the defense still looks shambles the um Verratti is out of the second leg as well so i think the one thing they can count on going to this game is that mbappe is on form and is ready to take it if it's like the first leg it doesn't really matter how good mbappe's had a lot of stick for how he played in that first leg but he he made psg's goal which could be crucial out of absolutely nothing and um, the fact is that it was the midfield that was that was diabolical against Dortmund. And, you know, however good a striker you are, you need to have the ball. You need to have service or, or have your attention. And if PSG's midfield plays as badly as they as they did the other day, then it doesn't matter how good the form that he's in is because he's not going to be able to have the same chances, chances and the same influence that, that he could have. And Jeremy, you said that um, earlier you thought the score maybe scoreline maybe slightly flattered PSG. It wasn't as convincing as it was. Like Leon played well for the first hour, you could say. But do Paris need a little bit of a bit of commendation for bouncing back from the results against Hamion and Dortmund? You know, absolutely smashing Dijon and then scoring another five goals here. Do they deserve a little bit of, a little bit of praise for their quality of bouncing back, or do you think there's still more that we should expect? Of PSG because of you know all the financial gains and whatnot. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they they deserve any credit at all for beating Dijon four 0 and okay, give them a bit of credit for coming back and be, beating a good team like. Again, for me, it was down to the fact that Lyon were down to ten men and one player had a had a brilliant game. I'm not sure it was a team performance that you could say was a sort of five one team performance. So. Yeah, well done for getting your head a little bit back on track. But as hugely paid professional footballers amongst the best in the world, that's the very, very least you'd expect. So, no, I'm not giving them too much credit yet. (laughs) Harsh as ever. You should get into management, honestly. You'd be great at it. Um, 
Do you think, and don't spoil the score of the other match at the moment, because we're going to come onto that in a second. As we're recording, actually, it's still going on. I think it's going to be going into extra time, but we'll, we'll come onto that game in just a moment. The other semi-final between San Etienne and Rennes. But do you think because PSG didn't win this tournament last season for the first time since 2013, I think it was? It's first time in quite a while. Do you think that even, doesn't matter who they play in the final, that motivation will be there for them because, you know, they'll really want to get their hands back on the tournament. Maybe last year they were a little bit lackadaisical about it because they'd won it so many times in a row. But, Jeremy, do you think that motivation will absolutely be there to, to get back on the podium for the Coupe de France because they didn't win it last year? I think it will be. I mean, it's still not, obviously, of the competitions they're in, it's it's not the priority. Um, but to, you know, they're already in the final of the Coupe de la, de la Ligue, that's fine. They've got the league pretty much sewn up and obviously it's all about the Champions League, really. But, um, yeah, I think to sort of get back their bragging rights, win the domestic treble again, I think that would be great for them. And I mean... Remember last year, they didn't really lose it. Okay, they lost the leads, but they only lost on penalties. Um, but yeah, I think they'll, they'll want to put the record straight. So um, I think they'll be pretty motivated in the final and they won't, if they take it last time, I, I don't think they'll let it go this time. So let's uh, go on to the opponents on this game, which were Leon. Leon did enter this game in a solid vein of form. They'd won four of their last five matches. They were looking quite consistent. Uh, you know, Rudy Garcia, for probably one of the first times in his in his career at Leon so far, was starting to get some good praise, of course, with the San Etienne win and the, the Juve win, and also Mets and Marseille. Marseille, obviously, is a, is a great victory as well, even though it was in the Cup. Clinton, what effect do you think this will have on Leon's confidence after that? Because it's not even as if they came into this game in great form, but they thought everything's going well, and they lost 2-1 by a penalty, or, or 2-0, or 3-1, something close to that. It was 5-1, and I know the red card had a lot to do with that, but conceding five goals against any team must be quite quite sore on your confidence. How, how do you think that'll affect the team, Clinton? Well, uh, I don't think it would affect them much or for, for long. I think it'd probably be two, three days and they would be over it because um, obviously in the circumstances, there was really not much they could do. It's hard enough to play against PSG with seven men. Playing against them with 10 men is, is, is likely to be a disaster and that happened. Obviously, they wouldn't have wanted the score to be that high and it was a bit embarrassing. It ended 5-1. But at the same time, they have to look at the positives. They, they, they get to um, have a chance to have their revenge against PSG when they meet in the Coupe de la Ligue final. So there's that to look forward to. So it's something they can always think about and probably use to get over this. That Okay, we'll still get to play them again in a final and get the chance to, you know, um, revenge or have, have our revenge or something. So uh, I don't think it will affect them much mentally and um, in terms of confidence. I think they'll just go on to the next game and see what they can do. Thankfully, they still have a chance to win silverware this season and to be against PSG. So they just have to focus on the next game. I think that's that's probably what they, they'll do. Um, obviously, losing to PSG, as much as it can be painful for them, it's not um, an unexpected result normally for them. So obviously, they, they, they always do better when they are home against PSG. But at the same time, it's not really unexpected when they lose. But when you win, obviously, it's a big deal. So um, they'll just have to look back on their recent form and, you know, pick themselves back up for the league game coming up. So uh, I think it won't affect them much. 
Jeremy, do you think they'll be able to really bounce back, or do you think this 5-1 uh, loss will be kind of in the back of their head as they go into this weekend to play Lille? I, I think based on recent form, based on obviously the, the match against Juventus, for example, and for me, a lot of the match against PSG as well, and against Saint-Étienne in between, I think they should be able to take a lot of confidence out of that, and there's no reason why they're they're it should affect their form going into the Lille match. The only thing is that last time they were on a decent run of form, it took one bad result and then they, they completely lost form for the next few matches. So um, they they need to kind of be aware of that. But I think they are playing on a different level to, to even that last run of form where they were sort of eking out small results. I think that they're playing better football now. The only thing is that... Um, Obviously, a lot of it has coincided with with Gimaresh coming in, and it's been noticeable that the last three matches he's been um, kind of Lyon and he have sort of tired going into the second half, or certainly into the the last half hour. Um, so I I don't know if that's sort of indicative of a of a bigger thing that um, you know that that he that they're not entirely, not match fit, but they're not capable of maintaining those high levels for a whole match, or that it means that they're just generally going to at some point run out of steam and it wouldn't even be sort of during a match, but for a whole match. And obviously away to Lille is a huge test of of where they've come, um, whether they're able to maintain that kind of form, firstly over several matches and secondly over a full 90 minutes. Um, but um, I think it does feel like a, a different Leon now. It feels like the the midfield is settled. That Gimerish really has made a difference. Dembele is is obviously on on very good form at the moment, and I think they'll be able to give Lille a, a good match. But this is Leon we're talking about, so it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world if they sort of went down to another five one defeat. Okay. Let's wrap up that match then. So the 5-1 win for PSG and move on to the other Coupe de France semi-final that happened this week. At the time of recording, it's literally just finished. Full-time whistle has just gone. And you might have heard me a minute ago saying that we thought this one was going to be going to extra time and penalties and whatnot. It hasn't because Saint-Étienne have just scored in the 94th minute to beat Rennes 2-1. Mbé Niang uh, originally opened up the scoring with a penalty uh, on the half-hour mark for Rennes to put them 1-0 up, but Timothy Kolejizak scored just before half-time to send them in at 1-1. I've heard that Saint-Étienne were a bit of the better team for much of the match, and that eventually came to fruition with Riyad Boudibou, the man who joined in the summer but hasn't really been living up to the heights that he probably expected to do coming from Celta Vigo. He was actually on the bench for this game, but he's come up big, scored a massive goal and has sent San Etienne into the Coupe de France final. Clinton, this match is literally just finished, but that's a massive match in terms of both teams' seasons. What's your reaction to that? incredible 2-1 win for San Etienne. I, I'm really surprised because um, I, everyone knows I don't, I don't expect anything from San Etienne anymore. <laughs> they, they, they've disappointed me so much that I don't really have any faith in them. But um, this was a very surprising result because I did predict that um, Ron were going to find a way to win. 
and I actually thought it was going to go into extra time or something or penalties. But um, late winner is great news for Saint Etienne. I think it pretty much saves their season a bit. That's as long as they don't get relegated, of course. Um, because um, out of a season that has been so disappointing and so bad, they've managed to make it to a final. And I think it's great for them. As for Ron, well, they, they won last year and they were probably hoping to get in there this year. But they still have a lot to look forward to for the rest of the season. They're in a good place um, in terms of Champions League um, qualification. And I think that they have a great chance to nick it. So um, it's as, as disappointing as it is, I think um, they've done well to get this far. And they'll just probably lick their wounds with the, you know, the league season. For Saint Etienne, it's absolutely amazing. It's it's, it's amazing. Mm. Yeah, let, let's focus on Saint Etienne first. Uh, coming out of this match, incredible two-one win, and they're sending them into a cup final. Even though much of this season has been absolutely awful for them, you know they, they're barely staying in the league at this point. Jeremy, do you think this is a big moment that they could use to really turn a corner for Club Pool's team? It can go either way, I guess. I mean, you, you think that it should do. And obviously, the team they've got, and they haven't got the worst run in ever, um, you'd expect them to to be able to to get out of trouble and, and hopefully sort of channel the the good feeling of getting into the into the final to, to improve their league form as well. But there have also been past cases of teams kind of going the other way and, and being distracted by by the sort of by the prospect of a final but you'd think that with the experienced players they've got um in the case of players like Kabai they're a little bit too experienced and, and should have retired by now <laughs> but, um, um the, with with that experience and certainly with a, a sort of steady head on the shoulders of the manager and Pua they they should be able to to channel that in a good way but they shouldn't be where they are anyway, so so you, you never know. I think there are a few players in that team who do pick and choose their matches, and maybe the concern would be that a couple of them will, will start going a little bit easy just to make sure that they, they don't get injured and, and miss the final. Um, so I'd expect them to use it in a good way, and I think at home to Bordeaux in the next match probably is is quite a nice first match to have after winning the semi they're at home they're in front of their fans again and and Bordeaux obviously can can often go missing as well um but I I still worry they're gonna have a few they'll stay up but I think they're still gonna have a few kind of jittery moments between now and the end of the season Mm. and this is as much as it's a massive win for the team specifically a great win for Claude Puel, who's been under so much pressure pretty much ever since he came to the door. Clinton, what do you think this will do for him? Will this be a, just a massive weight off his shoulders? You know, the first win in quite a while, and uh, you know, against reasonable opposition, first one since really the end of January. But it's not been going well in the in the in the league. This is a massive win for him specifically, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it, it lifts a bit of weight off his shoulders at this point. Obviously, they still have to worry about um, escaping relegation. Crazy as that sounds, because I don't think anybody predicted that that would happen this season. And, I mean, even when he took over, they still looked like they would not be somewhere here by this point. But it's happened that way. I think um, this game 
really, really had a lot. I mean, there was a lot riding on this game. And if he had lost this, then he probably would be um, getting fired sometime soon. But with the win now, it kind of lifts weight, a, a lot of weight off his shoulders. And he can then concentrate on you know the league and maybe just carry carry on the momentum to 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 their league games and probably use it to you know get a few points on board and steer clear of relegation. I don't think they'll get relegated. Um, although sometimes I say I think they'll get relegated, sometimes I say I don't think they'll get relegated. But I mean that just shows you know how unpredictable they are these days. You don't really know you know how well they're going to play in games. You do you can't even bet on them winning certain games because certain games that you know that normally they should win. You can't bet on them winning them these days because they just look poor. But I think um, a win like this kind of lifts everybody at the club, um, especially the way it happened, a last-minute winner. That, that The feeling, the bond, the togetherness that comes out of something like that usually helps. I think they'll be able to carry on this momentum, and it's great news for Pure. For Ren, obviously, they're the losing team on the side of this match. I know that Tom every time, or, you know, Ren aren't all like what they're out to be, you know, they may sit third in the league and whatnot, but he thinks they've been lucky in a lot of matches. Jeremy, do you think this was really just their luck running out in this in this game? I think there's an element of that. I mean, I wouldn't quite say that it was luck running out. I think they, by all accounts, that obviously being on here, I didn't watch the match, but sort of following it, it sounds like they were pretty lucky to to get as far as the 90th minute and to, to even get a goal. I think Saint-Etienne pretty much unplayed, outplayed them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I've I've made my feelings clear in the, in the last year or so. I think Julien Stéphane is, a, Stéphane is a, a very lucky manager. I think he seems to get a lot of the rub of the green. So in general, I'm pleased to to see another another team get through to the final. And um, I mean, I, I still think with the position Renner in, especially with Lille or Lyon going to or both going to drop points this weekend, and and Ren with. Um, think a relatively hopefully straight or for them straightforward match they can still have a nice cushion in third place but um yeah I don't I think they're benefiting from the fact that this is pretty poor league our season and um I yeah I'm not I'm not as impressed as some people are by them <laughs> that says it all uh, okay Let's move on to our two Ligon previews for this episode. The first one we are going to look at is the Derby de la Côte d'Azur between Nice and Monaco. Nice currently sits in ninth place in Ligon with Monaco just a couple points ahead of them in seventh. It's going to be a tight match, you know, with these teams pretty much neck and neck in the table. And we'll start with the home sides, looking at them. So Patrick Vieira's Nice. As much as if you look at them on paper, they've not been losing a lot of matches. They've only lost to Nîmes and Lyon really since the start of December. There's been a, a pretty solid run of not losing. Although Patrick Vieira has been critical of the team drawing too many matches and not really having that killer touch at times, drawn against the likes of Brest and Bordeaux and Rams. Clinton, do you think this criticism from the manager is, is quite justified? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, there are certain games you'd expect them to, you know, win. I mean, they're nice, 
but um, they end up drawing something. That loss against Nîmes was very, very disappointing. They were home, and of course they had the red card, but they still should have won that game, I believe. Um, they were home against Nîmes, a Nîmes team fighting relegation, and they couldn't just get three points. And that's kind of been their their problem this season. A bit, they're quite inconsistent. Ten wins, eight draws, nine defeats. It's just clear that they've been really inconsistent all season, and. It keeps holding them back because I think that normally needs to be in the fight for Champions League football. Obviously, they are in a way, but um, it still feels like it's too far for, for them. They're nine points behind run. If if some of those draws had been turned into wins, some of those draws that should have been wins, if they had been turned into wins, then they would probably be maybe five, six, seven points better at this point. And that would, take, that would have them at 45 points and right in the thick of things. But... It's not. It's not happened so far. They keep dropping points, silly points. The game against Brest was 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 just poor because they had a two goal lead, and they naively threw it away. So um, things like that keep happening, and obviously it's very frustrating for managers to see that happen. But I think also um, Vieira has to take some responsibility. He's the manager, and these things are happening on his watch. So responsibility basically, but it's a valid criticism of his team. They need to be able to see out games. They need to be able to take care of inferior opposition and get as many points as they can on board. Mm. Jeremy, uh, why, why do you think that Nice haven't really been able to put away games and then stay in control of matches? I mean, it's not like they've had their opportunities. They were 2-0 up against Brest and then once again threw it away. Why do you think that's been happening? Do you think the team's still moulding and, and coming together with a lot of the new signings they made quite late into the transfer window following the takeover? Or do you think it's Vieira still finding his feet as a manager? You know, he's only had about four seasons, I think, of professional management. You've got to think, but he's still a very young coach. Why, why do you think that's been, this has been happening on the South Coast? I'm not really sure, to be honest. I mean, I think I think that the fact that they made their, their new signings very late in the summer was a reasonable excuse for quite for the first few months of the season that they didn't have time to to gel together and get used to playing with each other um sort of during during the summer so that they're, they're having to kind of um get accustomed to to each other's styles of play as the season progresses but you know we're now well like i don't know seven eight months into the season they they should have worked that out by now and likewise i think Vieira should have worked out his best team. He still seems to be chopping and changing a lot. Uh, I know they've, they've had some injuries but and suspensions, but um, he, they rarely seem to have any too much consistency within the lineup. Even he changes the the formation quite a lot. You've got players like Claude Mogis, who certainly hasn't lived up to to expectations yet, but. You know, recently Vieira's been been dropping him back into midfield, but then like last weekend he was back in the front three again. Um, I I think I'm I'm not entirely sure what it is, but in terms of both the the personnel and also as you said, Vieira he's a relatively new coach, but four years in now, I, I I'd be I'd expect him to be pushing on, and he doesn't seem to be. And actually, I think in a way, last not in a way, I think definitely Mar- uh, Nice and. Nice's performances and Vieira's performance as coach was much more impressive last year when they had no no attack, basically, and ground-out results. It wasn't necessarily pretty, but, you know, they had strength of character, they made themselves hard to beat, and they were 
arguably unlucky not to qualify for Europe in the end. This year they've just become really flaky, and you just think if they had the um, the attack that they've got this year, the goals of Dolberg, for example, the flair when he wants to of Unas, but last year's sort of Grinta and will to win, they'd be a hell of a lot higher up. And it's it's bizarre that they've lost that that bit, which you know it should be the 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 element that's easy to keep under Vieira, you know, thinking what kind of player he was and that, you know, he he sort of, he wouldn't accept defeat. Last year, it looked like he was moulding a team in that image, but this year they just, they just seem to have a, a really soft belly and, and are easily attackable. And, and as you said, with that, that breast match, you know, a match that looked as good as one, somehow they find a way not to win it. And it's, it's bizarre. And, and it's a real test of Vieira to see if he can find a solution to that. I think a big thing about Nice, and this is something I've said a couple of times to Thomas and whatnot, last season they were, like you said, a lot of their quality came through their defensive play and how they ground out matches. And a lot of that came through the defensive unit, usually cohesive of Malang Sar, Christoph Harel and Dante, who all had some of their best seasons, to be honest, really, in their in their careers, like as a unit. Also, Patrick Burner sometimes filled in at right back, and that was fine. Sometimes they switched to a back three, but that was good. This season, they came in and they stuck with that formation, won their first game again, uh, won some games against Ramps and stuff, but then they just changed it and they wouldn't stick with that unit that just seemed to work, the Saar, Harel and Dante, which I just think was one of the best back threes in France last season it, it worked so well and that's why Nice conceded so many uh, conceded so few goals but it's just something they've not really wanted to use this season which I think has been a little bit disappointing Jeremy a couple of months on from the takeover what do you think is the ambition really for this season from the guys upstairs and is it being met for this season I mean that they they talk a very good game and they're talking you know, they say that they've got this kind of project and they want Nice to be in Champions League maybe within sort of three to five years, but they're not kind of going to rush anything. And certainly this season, it would have been unreasonable to expect them to, to be pushing for Champions League, considering that, like I said, they, did, they didn't have any kind of pre-season. I'd have expected them maybe to be thinking in terms of, um, you know, being an outside bet for for Europa League places, and I think where Nice is sitting at the moment is disappointing. But the the nature of the league this year, and the fact that it's all so close, you know, Lyon at the weekend I think went from tenth to fifth with a win. Nice <laughs> are only two points behind them, so you know they could they could finish the weekend um, in in fifth place, I guess, and and. Um, is certainly leapfrogging Monaco, obviously, if they, if they beat them. And they're, they're still very much in the European race. So you look at so many teams in there, in that sort of middle section, Lyon, Monaco, Nice, who you think they've had really, really disappointing seasons and could still qualify for Europe. It's it's I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing for the league. I think maybe it says something bad about the quality, but good about the the competition and the fact that so many teams are so evenly matched I think it was a case where a lot of teams were weakened to be honest like Lille lost a lot of players Leon lost a lot of players like a lot of the quality players from last season were just kind of nicked from the league like even Nice had like Sam Maximan say what you will about him but he's exciting to watch and he just kind of got ripped from the team as well Atal's not really been at it to the same degree he was last season I don't know a lot a lot a lot of teams and he's injured also from them. Oh, yeah, he spent yeah, a lot of time injured as well 
Yeah, and it, it wasn't really like at his best before the injury. It was just trying to get his momentum together. So overall, I agree with you. I agree that, with that sentiment that, you know, it's been a bit... A lot of teams have lost quality players. I mean, Pepe, imagine if Pepe was here this season, this little team and Usimen, they would have been a, a, a lot more dangerous and they'll probably have maybe 10 or 20 more points or something. But, I mean, um, quality has been taken out. New players have have to adapt to their teams and systems and all of that. And, of course, it's it, it comes at a cost. But uh, I think it's it's a bad thing if you can't have enough teams showing enough consistency in the league. Um, obviously, Marseille have, have done well. Outside of PSG, Marseille have done well to be somewhat consistent since October. They've done well too. And I think that was all it took for them to rise to second place and keep it and be significantly ahead of everybody else. Just a, a little bit of consistency, just win a bunch of games, maybe draw one or two, then win some others, and they're up there. And that's something that you know that some of these other teams are capable of. You know that Nice can do something like that. You know that Leon have it in them, something like that. Just And in the end, that's why you ha- you end up having something like this where um, between 5th and 10th, and, and it's just two points. There are three teams on 40 points. There are three teams on 38 points. There's a team on 37, two teams on 36. It's just, just like that. Like everyone's just around themselves and everyone is losing loads of games. Lille have lost nine. Ron have lost eight. Lyon have lost nine. Montpellier have lost nine. Monaco have lost nine. That's, that's just not, not, not good enough from some of these teams. And just quickly before we go into Monaco, Clinton, just generally, do you see Vieira being a, a part of the long-term vision at Nice? I, I think, I think it, it will depend a lot on how this season um, unfolds, how it ends. Um, if they're able to get maybe a top six spot, even if they don't make Europe, if they're able to get a top, top six spot, uh, I think that's, that that could keep him, you know, and we could be talking about him staying for a long time. But I also feel like the, the owners might get itchy feet if, you know, they don't really end the season on a high. If they come maybe 10th or something, then they're not going to be very impressed, especially with um, their plans of investing in squad and all of that. So um, it's really hard, though, for me to see Nice keeping him long term because I don't think they're going to end the season so well I, I i don't really think so i think that they're going to drop some more points they're going to lose some more games and eventually maybe finish 10th or 11th and but um i wouldn't be surprised though if they still stick by him because sometimes this these people don't want to throw away stability stability is very very important for teams and i think they understand that mm. Okay, let's look at Monaco for this game. So they currently sit 7th as it is. Monaco, I feel like, are almost in a little bit of a similar situation where they're still to fully just get themselves going. They had a little bit of a good run um, in the last few matches. I think they, they won 3 and drew 2 yeah, um, yeah. over Andre, Amiens, Montpellier. But a lot of that kind of, almost like the tropes, the attributes that you would always put on Monaco this season or the last couple of seasons have been, you know, fantastic attack, incredible attack. They can, oh, with Ben Yedder and, and Slimani and whatnot, you're, you're guaranteed goals with them. It's just at the other end of the pitch, which is why they were kind of holding back. Clinton, that that spirit or that 
attribute I feel has almost kind of been taken out of them by Moreno. You know, they're not scoring as many, but they're definitely a lot more solid at the back with clean sheets against Montpellier, Montpellier and Onji. Do you think that'll be popular with fans, this idea that they're their attack they were always so well known for is kind of getting pulled back in order to just stabilize everything. Yeah, you know, you know, I think that the fans don't mind or they wouldn't mind for now. In the in the in the present, um, the the priority is just to get as many wins as, as possible because they've suffered enough. They've suffered so much in the last two seasons where they've just been losing games. I mean, they've been scoring a lot of goals, but they've been conceding a lot and they've been losing a lot. I mean, so far this season, they've considered more goals than um, everybody except three teams. And that is, or as many goals anyway. Um, they've, they've considered as many as Nîm and they've considered more than um, everybody else except Saint-Étienne, Amiens and Toulouse who have been poor. So that already tells you that there's a serious problem down there in defence and I don't think the fans would mind for now. They just want to win games so if they have to be conservative to win it, uh, there's a game they won recently 1-0 where they had to be really, really conservative. Uh, I forgot what game it was but they had to be very conservative in that game and just ride it out. I think it was Angers. Yeah, it was Angers where Angers had 7% possession and a lot of shots and eventually um, Monaco were able to see that through. So I think the fans don't mind if they just they can just get those wins in the bag because they really, really need to you know, get as many points as possible and possibly get the European spot this season. So once they're able to do that, I think then the, the, the priority, the things that the, the fans prioritise would, would change. I think that's when they'll now start demanding for more. They want to see a more attacking um, style. They want to see more flair and all of that. But for now, I think they don't have any choice other than to be in line with it and just see how they can get as many points as possible right now. Because the last two seasons have probably been very depressing for them. Uh, Jeremy, how impressed have you been with Moreno since he's come in? Do you think he is... You know, impressed, or do you think he's just kind of keeping the ship going as it was in the same direction as it was? I think he he has impressed. I mean, he I think he started well first match and and then really went off, and it looked like maybe he wasn't the the cleverest of signings. But I think he's doing a good job. I think he's. I guess it still looks like they're very very reliant on Ben Yedder and. Um, and Slimani when he plays for 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 the goals and for the positive results, but I think there is a little bit more of a kind of team ethic about the about the team. Um, they are playing sort of more as a unit. The defense, um, as Clinton said, the defense really is a worry. I think only Toulouse have, have conceded more in 2020 in the league, so um, there's still a hell of a lot to work with there, but. The midfield looks a lot more authoritative um, and the the sort of transition from midfield to attack um, looks a little bit more consistent. I know they they only drew one all at the weekend, but that was as much as anything down to to another superb performance from Rajkovic. So, um, and I think that there was another match recently that I think they maybe only won 1-0 or something, but actually you look at the chances created, they, they were 
their performance was a lot better than the the score suggested. So I think they they definitely are improving, and I think you, you've got to give Moreno a lot of credit for that. I know he's not the most experienced of first team coaches, but obviously he he did well filling in as the head coach for Spain, which you know. It's, in some ways you could say well, it's an easy job because he's got great players to work with but to to be able to kind of have the authority despite his inexperience and and still manage to to get them to play well um i think is a big thing so um clearly that there's a there's a very talented guy there he he's got a lot more i think tactical nous than jardim seemed to have at the end of his his tenure and they're going the right way but I still think that ultimately that they're, they're still being hindered by the complete lack of direction and leadership above him off the pitch. And that that bit, you know, there, there's rumours that Olivier Letton, who, who you know, has been let go from Rennes, could come into Monaco instead. I think, although he's, he's a kind of a, a bit of a divisive character, I think he could be really good for Monaco, just get them looking a lot more serious, giving them a lot more sort of direction and more of a kind of plan about what exactly it is that they want to do um they did to be fair even without him they made a good start in terms of their january business i think but there still needs to be an overhaul they need to make their squad a lot smaller um they need to sort their defense out massively but um you know they should they should be there or thereabouts and again like i said that i don't the way their season has gone it's crazy that they they are in touch with the European places. But um, I know we said all the same things last summer, but I think it really is about this summer and, and what they do to rebuild and become more of a serious prospect for next season. And what an opportunity to you know calm everything down and, and get some points on the board and some confidence and wind in the sails than a derby win. Guys, I want to hear your score predictions for this one. Clinton, firstly, I'll start with you. Nice versus Monaco. How do you see this one finishing? I think it's going to end 1-1. One, one. Um, yeah, I think 1-1. One, one. Um, Dora, goal, Unas, assist. Uh, ben Yere. Oh, yeah. Cool. I love how precise it is. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think is going to happen? I'm going to go, I think, 2-1 Monaco. I think Nice will take the lead and be incapable of holding on to it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I think Monaco will probably get the win as well. I feel like they've got a little bit more about them in the moment, I think. I don't know, I kind of back Moreno for these matches. He did well against PSG in that kind of big game, a big kind of big game for the club, and I think he'll probably do quite well here as well in the derby. And our other League One preview that we're going to look at in this episode, it's a big match in terms of the, the drop zone, the relegation battle. It's Dijon versus Toulouse. Dijon, the home side right now, sit 17th in the league and of course Toulouse are propping up the table in 20th so it's a key relegation battle for both sides but we're going to start on Toulouse firstly because they've you know they've been the team that just everyone is trying to work out how's this all just collapsed and, and just come to nothing you know Toulouse used to be a team that were you know I think they were in the Champions League a couple of years ago as well they, they finished third in 2007 fourth in 2009 Jeremy, what, what do you think has, has led to this just capitulation for Toulouse? Do you think it's just been this season and these players and this manager, or do you think for a couple of seasons it's been sliding towards this? Yeah, I, th- I think this has been coming for a while now. I mean, you look you look at 
some of the players that Toulouse have produced or that have developed into at Toulouse. Um, you know, there's 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 a good roll call of players there. Obviously, I don't know Gignac, Capu, um, Diop. I mean, others as well that um, escape me right now. But you know, certainly Songare at the moment, of course, is, is doing well. But I just think that you know this this is a decent sized city, uh, a good sporting city. Obviously, rugby is the main sport there, but still, and that there's they should have all the foundations there to be a decent team competing on a decent level. And yet, more often than than not, they're sort of um, kind of scraping survival. There was obviously that that famous season with the the Dupras team talk and and the three two win in the last match of the season. Um, they're they're just a disappointing team overall, and I think this is almost like the 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 fruits of of what's been going on the last few years, and maybe maybe kind of deserved. And I know Clinton said it a couple of times as well that possibly going down might be good for them because it might actually get them to kind of focus on what it is exactly that that they want, what they want to achieve, what they think they are as a as a as a football club in a decent like I said, a decent city where you'd expect them to to be so much more. Um I know it's it's kind of silly, but a couple of weeks ago there was a I think the the Toulouse Twitter account tweeted out the the team lineups for whatever match they were playing that evening. And I saw that someone commented that it had had something like 13 likes or retweets. And I know it's kind of a really trivial thing, but they were kind of saying, you know, this the team is going down and no one, the fans, no one cares. It's just complete indifference. It's not, you know, it's just, they don't, you, you don't get any kind of emotion, positive or negative from Toulouse. They're just, they just feel like they've been a bit of a waste of space in a league and context for the last two or three years now. And it's disappointing because they are producers of, of decent players. And like I said, they've got the everything going for them to suggest that they could be um, sort of challengers, at least for Europe. And they're just, they're just wasting all the sort of good resources that they've got. Hmm. Clinton, how much do you think of it is to blame on the players and the manager at the club right now? Obviously, Jeremy says it's kind of been happening for a couple of years, this slow decline. I mean, even last season, I'm pretty sure they were, they were 16th and just tickling over the drop zone. But how much is down to the, obviously, three managers that have been at the club with um, Kambuari and, and now Dennis Sanko and Casanova, Gizzo, at the start of the season? How much are they to blame for this dip this season, this really severe dip that could cost the club massively? Well, um, I'm not sure I'd blame the players so much. Obviously, they, they have um, a lot of blame in it, but I'm not going to lie because um, there's something about the environment around the club and I mean, there's I just don't get any feeling, like just like um, Jeremy pointed out, there's no feeling of excitement anymore. And I don't think it's going to be easy for players themselves to motivate themselves to go out there and, you know, go the extra mile, chase balls, all of that, chase lost, lost courses and all of that. I don't think it's going to be easy for that to happen when the entire mood around the club is so rubbish, to be honest. It's, it's, it's difficult 
for players to come out and motivate themselves. It's difficult for them to play at their best in those conditions and circumstances. And it has been like Toulouse have just been existing for the past three years. It's just been existing. Nothing to look up for, nothing exciting happening around the club. No, there's just nothing. So obviously that kind of thing slips into the minds of the players, of the coaches. I mean, there's only so much you can do. It's almost like mediocrity is accepted there or it's acceptable. Um, and I'm, I'm going to use um, Leon as an example. We know that Leon are better than they've shown a lot in the last three years. You know that on their day, Leon can, can match almost any team in the world. But seeing those performances every week, seems to be so difficult. Like They can't be consistent to save their lives. And it got to a point when the, the fans had those banners about them being mercenaries, them just trying to um, use the club as a stepping stone. But that came all the way from Olas, who always created that atmosphere of, okay, this club is just a club you come, and then when you are good enough, we sell you to the ISB that will set up an, uh, an auction for you and then we'll sell you to the ISB. So we're going to help you get to your dream club. And that kind of mentality, you know, at some point it rubs off on the players and they start to feel like that. They start to feel like, why should they care? Why should they, you know, put in um, performances, important performances every week or something? They don't, they don't really have to do that. They just have to look for how they can earn themselves bigger moves or something like that. And when you have that at a club, then you're not going to see any, any direction. You're not going to see any vision. You're not going to see anything. So I think it, that kind of thing starts from top at clubs. And at Toulouse, it's also the same thing. I think right up there to the top, it's it's already like a it's ingrained everywhere. It's like a club culture where okay, if we if we escape relegation, we've done well for the season. Let's look forward to next season. Next season comes and you're saying, oh, if we escape relegation again, great, we've done well to just stay here, you know, and all of that. And then we'll sell you to some club that you know brings enough money and all of that. That that kind of culture where you don't want to raise legends. Of the club you don't want to you're not really thinking in terms of that you're not thinking of building to the future of, of of steps that you're going to take from being a relegation fighting team to being a mid-table team to a team competing for european places to a team winning you know or possibly you know challenging for the league that progression you don't see it at toulouse you don't feel like there's anything that they are you know really playing for there's any direction there's any next step for them it's always like it's just there they're just in that space. I mean, after that that season where they had that great escape and the old speech thing, I remember it went viral on Twitter and all of that. Obviously, you're thinking, next season, we're going to build on this. We've we've done something remarkable here. So next season, let's go out there and maybe become a mid-table team that doesn't have to fight relegation by, you know, February or March or something. And then from there, we can build to be a team that will compete in Europe and that will compete for European places and stuff like that. But you don't see that to lose. It's almost like they are satisfied with just escaping relegation. And the problem with that is that, first of all, the players always get the feeling when a club doesn't have ambition. It's always very easy to see. When you come to a club that doesn't have ambition, you can see it, you can feel it. And it's it's like, it's always palpable. It's, it's in the air. Everyone knows. So obviously, the players will be nonchalant about a lot of things because they are not really seeing a vision. They are not really seeing a direction that, that, that they should follow. So eventually, it's... Um, fight, avoiding relegation being the, the goal for the season every season 
it's, it starts having a negative effect. And at some point, players will start asking themselves, what's the point? Why should I run that extra mile? Why should I put in that extra effort? I can just put in enough to end my salary and go home. And um, by the end of the season, I'll get a move. And, you know, I mean, imagine for someone like Sangare, who is probably angling for a move by now, is probably just thinking, okay, let the season just end and let me let me get out of here. I mean, if we get relegated, um, well, it's not none of my business. I'm not saying that that's how he thinks, but it's very easy to fall into that kind of um, that kind of thinking. When I mean, if you concede, you want to you want to react immediately and you know try to equalize. When you're here, you're thinking, what's even the point? We are just fighting to escape relegation. Next season, we're back in relegation trouble again. So ultimately, it really really doesn't help anybody, and then the club just goes down. And I think that's what what's happened with Toulouse. It's it's very disappointing. That they've become like this. Their games used to be very boring also. I mean, I remember at the beginning of the season when I put uh, my wild predictions for the season. One of my predictions was that Toulouse would not be boring. And <laughs> thankfully, they've not they've not really been boring. They've had a period when, under Comboire, when they were scoring a lot of goals and conceding a lot of goals, which was very surprising. And all that. But for me to even have that kind of um, <laughs> wild prediction, it tells you just how bad it is or it has been with Toulouse, where their games are just ball fests and you know, yeah. everyone is just tired. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that <clears throat> kind of actually really well sums up the situation at Toulouse at the moment. But they've got a great opportunity here, like they've had in the last few weeks, to be honest, against Amion and, and for instance. But they've got another great opportunity here to get three points against Dijon, who only set a few points above them in 17th. So we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, the good of Dijon with their attack and the young players they've got coming through with Chuar and, and Mabadidi and Mamabaldi, who, who I'm a, a big fan of. But they've had a little bit of a dip in recent weeks. No wins in their last six. 18 conceded in that time. Jeremy, do you think Dijon have, have had a little bit of good that good form they had at the start of the, this year gone to, their, gone to their head a little bit, almost as if they are out of the relegation battle, even though they're really still very much embroiled in it? Do you think they've got a little bit casual? I, I don't think so. I think they've, um, <laughs> they've made themselves hard to beat, which I, I think is a reasonable start. You said that they haven't won for a while and that they've conceded a lot. To be fair, that like... 10 of those, if you're including the cup, 10 of those conceded have been in two matches against PSG. Um, and uh, you, you take out the PSG matches, they they only lost one of their last five, maybe, something like that. It's not great because there, there are a lot of draws there, but I think the start is to, to just kind of try to tighten up um, the defence, try to just be able to to compete sort of week in, week out. And I think that they're one of the teams sort of around that area. Toulouse do look a bit cut off and Amiens starting to as well. But after that, there's, I guess, you're looking at sort of the likes of Metz, Saint-Étienne, weirdly, um, Nîmes and Dijon. And you really could see any of those teams easily getting out of trouble with a bit of a run um and you know on on paper at least at home to Toulouse is the perfect way to start a run and the, the next next four matches away to Strasbourg is pretty tough but Toulouse at home Amiens at home Nice at home I think they're all winnable matches and if they can get sort of 
seven or nine points out of them, then they're almost certainly going to be a place or two above the bottom three by then. And then it's a, a case of kind of, you know, just in a way matching your opponents. Um, you don't want to take it to the last match of the season, which is Dijon away to Saint-Étienne, if they both still got something to play for. But I do think Dijon are looking a little bit better. I think, as you said, that they've got, in some, they've got kind of, it's a nice balance of experienced and inexperienced, but in a way it's kind of a little bit too much balance. There's too, there's too many, the, the, the young players are a little bit too young and the old players are maybe a little bit showing their age, but I still think they've got enough about them that they could get out of trouble. Um, you mentioned a couple of, you know, a talent, talented attacking players in um, Shuya, Mavididi, Balde. I still like Tavares as well. Funnily enough, I think Tavares is exactly the kind of player that Saint-Etienne are missing. He's not necessarily the greatest footballer in the world, but he's a really hard-working, really strong bully of a centre-forward. And I think that's what Saint-Etienne are missing. Um, Benzia, he's never been my favourite player, but... Um, I think his nous in this this position that he's now found that he sort of discovered at Lille a little bit behind the front the front players. I think he's helping them as well when he plays, um, and they've got some sort of hardened players, you know, like players like Equile Mange and Lauta further Lauta Lauta further back, who should be able to um, kind of shore up the defence and keep a calm head because they've kind of been there and done that. Um, it's not the greatest team on paper and you would expect them to be kind of battling in the bottom five or six, but I do think that they they should have enough about them to to avoid relegation. The problem is will be... I think I would say that about all of those teams except Amiens mess. So, uh, sorry, not mess. That's Freudian slip. Amiens to lose. <laughs> so, um, you know, it really is about which of those players, can, which of the teams can play to their best of, the, of their ability and just p- pull out those those results that they need to, particularly in the sort of matches against their direct rivals. Mm, absolutely. Because you feel at some point one or two of those teams that are all in and amongst that bottom five or six are going to start pulling away. At one point, it looked like Nîmes. Then that kind of took a little bit of a dip. At one point, it looked like Dijon. That took a dip. At the moment, it looks as if Saint-Étienne could maybe build on their win over Rennes. But, you know, you expect one of those teams to really start kicking on at one point. I feel like every season, or especially last season, the teams that are down there have that kind of one game that really starts to to kick them on and send them on to a fantastic run. I remember... Um, Last season, Cannes had a win over Monaco, I believe, and that set them on a good run, even though they still eventually went down. They made a lot closer than it uh, previously was. Dijon had a, a win over Lyon that really set them on a run towards the end of last season. And you're just starting to wait as we enter our last 11 games of the league and season. You're just waiting on one team to have that pivotal win that'll send them on a run. But well, this game for either of these teams. Dijon versus Toulouse. I'm going to get your score predictions for this one. Bear in mind, Munir Chouir will not be available for Dijon for this game. He's got an injury that's going to keep him out for about another three weeks, I believe. Will that have a big effect on the game? Jeremy, how do you see this one finishing? I just, I can't see Toulouse getting anything out of it. I'm going to go comfortable 2-0 win for Dijon. Right, and Clinton? 
I think it'll be a lot tighter. I don't know. I always back. I don't know. I always back to lose. I've said this like so many times, and I always have egg in my face at the end. I've said this so many times about to lose. Nah, I think they're going to turn the corner, man. I think this is this is it. This is it because they've got a good you know squad. How many times they've lost in the last three months. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't even want to know. I don't know. I'm looking Every- at their, their form currently, and it's just L after L after L. They've lost five straight games. They've had one draw since November second. Honestly, like, their form sheet just looks like someone's and they've lost sleep. everything else. That's how many games. Honestly, um, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'll go one nil Dijon. Uh, I don't know. I think Tools <laughs> will put up a bit of a fight. Well, they put up a big they fight. Put up a they always do. Yeah, they always do, but it's just not working out. They've yeah. they've put up a fight in their last six games, and come close to doing something, and then they don't. So, Never really happened. Okay, seventeen I'll losses. Since oh, that is, that is delicious. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll go one 0 Dijon. Uh, and okay, that wraps us up. Thank you very much for listening. If you're looking for more information on all things French and football in English, you can head over to the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com. You can also find us on Twitter at GFFN. And just before I leave you, I would implore you to have a look at Get Football's new magazine physical periodical that's come out over the last few weeks. It's 100 pages, 40,000 words long, and it includes player profiles and talking about the emerging talents. We've got columns on all the major clubs throughout Europe and some of the guys that have been on the podcast this year have contributed quite a bit to that. Um, It's called The Modern Footballer on prices start just at £3.50 so you can go onto the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com to find out a lot more about that. Okay, I've been Lewis McParlin. I've been joined by Clinton McDubis and Mr. Jeremy Smith. That wraps us up. I hope you have a lovely weekend. I hope Amion get a win. Uh, and I'll see you next week when Thomas can come back and cry to us about Andre's lost and not. Great. Thanks very much for listening. See you next time.